Hey, everybody. My name is Rob Shear, and I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm also an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, an author of a book, A Forever Family. But most importantly, I am the father of four amazing children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right here where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a social media consultant, a radio host, a podcast producer, and a mother of two children. See, our country's foster care system is shattered, and this podcast is about how we as a community can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. So today we are so thankful to have Leanne Tui on the phone with us on our podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today, Leanne. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You know, for those of us who I I can't think of anybody that I know of who doesn't know who Leanne is, but um, she is actually the um, one of the, her and her husband, Sean, um, the movie The Blind Side was inspired by. And I'm getting chills right now when I say that. Um, but you know, Leanne has done so much. And, and Leanne, I have to tell you that I, I read something um, that says that you're dubbed um, the warrior princess. Um, and <laughs> that title fits you to a T. It truly, truly Really does it fits you to the a T? This, you know, when this book was first came out, and then the movie came out, did you ever think that it was going to be as big as it is, and how much it has changed so many people's lives? No, I, I, I we had no idea. It was you know, we certainly didn't anticipate it. It was a newspaper article originally. Uh, it was a newspaper article written for the New York Times, and then it literally just exploded from there. And we had nothing to do with it. We did not instigate or look for something to happen. It just literally all was unassisted by us. It just went all of a sudden from a newspaper article to a book to a movie and really an unprecedented pace. And people ask us all the time, how did this, can you do this, can you help us do that? We really had nothing to do with it. Zero, zippo, not one single thing other than we did a simple interview just almost like this, just a friend called and said, hey, we like your story. Would you do a little interview with us to share this with just a few people? And we'll do this article, and the article will come out, and there will be a slight flurry of activity from it, and then your life will be back to normal in six weeks. So currently, I think that's a stupid person because he clearly didn't know what he was talking about. But <laughs> that, that, that is how all of this started. And obviously, it's God-driven. And he used our story because, look, every single day I have so much communication with people via whether it's Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or email, foundation website, com, whatever it is. And their stories, Rob, your story is far more interesting than my story ever will be or could be. And that's the honest truth. You, You know, you are people like you are doing things that their story is more interesting you're doing more things. It's just, I'm in awe of your story, but I was just the one that God just plucked out to be told. It is, it is moved to mountains. There are some people that don't like it. We could really care less. It isn't about you. <laughs> you know, I'm like, this is not about you. Get, get, find your own business. Um, but it's, a, it's one of these stories that so many people relate to in so many different ways because they go, I want to do that or how can I do that or it validates for kids that are in foster care, that they are worthy and valuable and that they deserve a forever family. It's 
it validates that families don't have to match, that you don't have to look like someone to love them. It just has a lot of tentacles. And for that, every day I wake up and just say, thank you, God. Yeah, you know, I have to tell you, I the story for me, um, being, you know, a white privileged male who, you know, raising four African American boys, um, it 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 was such an eye opener. And my children have recently watched it, just to let you know, my boys have. And, you know, it it really put it in perspective that what you just said, families are made differently, and we all look different. And it, it still doesn't mean that we're not a family. Um, you know, Michael went on to, you know, play for the, by the way, I have to say something, my son, Alex, this morning, who, by the way, does never, he hasn't woken up since this, this pandemic, um, before 10 o'clock, but he woke up this morning to say to me, um, um, hey, don't forget, you know, to make sure you give a shout out to, for me as well, because um, the Baltimore Ravens is his favorite team. <laughs> so, so good for him. Yeah, <laughs> we have so we have two people, two of the boys in my house. They are truly Ravens fans. Um, but Michael went on and to play for the Baltimore Ravens and, you know, and did his first Super Bowl, Bowl victory that I mean, how life changing for a child who grew up the way he grew up then to come and live in your home um and have the love that you show and 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 I like I said I've been lucky to meet you I I you're genuine you're you're so real um you as you say you don't care what anybody else says this is your life and this is the way you're doing it um how's Michael doing he's doing great all of the kids are doing well through all this mom get a little antsy because I have not seen them they don't seem to be as worried about that as I am but I'm getting ready to have a Mother's Day drive-a-thon, and I think to drive to all three of their houses, my husband's like, we can't go out, you know, like it's the apocalyptic zombie thing if I go out of, you know, from the driveway. So, uh, but, but everybody's well. Uh, Michael is in Nashville, and they have been hunkering down there, and he is at, retired after 10 years in the NFL and, and doing very well. I have two beautiful grandkids, a six-year-old and a one-year-old from him. So he is my most favorite child at the moment because I have these two beautiful grandkids. <laughs> and I keep telling Carl and SJ that I, he is way ahead of y'all on the curb. So if we're talking about these curves these days, he is way at the top and y'all are not. So, so I have to uh, ask, SJ, real quick, I have to, what do they call you? What do, what do your grandkids Wait, call you? Uh, you don't even want to know. Granny. Granny. And I'm in the, I'll be in the store. <laughs> the oldest is six years old. He'll go, Granny. And everybody looks. I go, yeah, that's me. I'm five. Cece, Mimi, all the names. It's Granny. So, you know, it's one of those. Just uh, you, know, you don't know. I mean, I literally, I go, Lily. You'll call me Lily. This would be little. And he and he'd go, Granny. And I'm like, oh, man, what's wrong with the sister? So, oh, I love that. I am Granny. That is what I am. And it's just. Stuff and so be it. It's, uh, you know, clearly those three kids aggravate me. You know, they call me granny as well. But it's okay. They can call me whatever they want, and it melts my heart every time they say it. So it's fine. Now, but, so, uh, so go ahead. No, I was going to say. So, so your your son actually just got a pretty great job at a college that's not far from us. He did. SJ uh, just got a, he is the uh, assistant athletic director in charge of football operations at Liberty University. So he is very excited about that. SJ went to undergrad at Loyola of Maryland and played basketball. And then he is my smart child. He is seven and a half years younger than Collins and Michael. And so he, thank goodness, I, I couldn't have 
done what I did with the calls and Michael with SJ. So he's a smart kid. So he had his fifth year of eligibility. He transferred to SMU and played football. So he played two Division One sports. Got his master's at SMU, and then he started his doctorate, and then went to the University of Arkansas as a um, assistant director of football operations. And the head coach got fired there, which means basically your whole staff fired. So then he was unemployed, which that was an interesting experience, to say the least. And then I, you know, our staff had to even have to a budget and had to explain to him what the V word was. So. He, we, we lived through that with SJ, and then he got hired at Liberty, and he is working on his doctrine up there. He's about halfway finished with it. And he loves it. He loves that Virginia area. I mean, he's only been up there since January, and, of course, times have been crazy since he's been up there and, you know, nothing normal. But I think that it's going to be a really good fit for him, and uh, he's, he's been really happy right now. He's in, a, he's in a good spot. Well, I follow him on social media, and I will tell you, he is an amazing piano player. He is a good piano player. It was a, I required, you know, there were days he hated me when I would make him uh, practice the piano, and I said, one day you will thank me for this. And sure enough, by his senior year, uh, he was sitting uh, at a, a restaurant, and the cover was off the piano, and he sat down and played it, and suddenly there was three or four very pretty high school senior girls from another school listening to him. He walked in and said, i got to learn some more songs. i got to learn some more songs. And I thought, well, the light bulb has gone off. So he, he plays well, Colin plays well, and Michael plays with, with chopsticks with one finger and thinks that that's great. And we clap for him just like we did, you know, for the other two. So it's, they're, I, I kind of insisted they all do some kind of music or something. And they, I'm glad that, that I made him stick with it because, it, like I said, you said, SJ plays really well. And I get little midnight concerts from him. He sends me during these safe sheltering quarantine times, and I've thoroughly enjoyed them. Well, you know, I, I have to tell you, one of the things in, in your book, in a, in a heartbeat, um, you know, one of the things you put in the very beginning was kids falling through cracks, the cracks, you know, and I think about as, as for me as a kid, when I was in the system, it's exactly what happened. I fell through the cracks. I wasn't the kid that caused all the problems, and I wasn't the kid that was in the principal's office. And because of that and not drawing attention to myself, I truly fell through the cracks. I look at my oldest son, Alex, who is a senior in high school, and if it wasn't for recent I, um, he would have been another kid who fell through the cracks. You know, I'd like to talk about a little bit about, you know, um, Make It Happen Foundation and how that is helping to make sure we bring awareness for kids not to fall through the cracks. Well, it's, we're very on the down low. We're not publicized in your face, out there requesting money, what you can do to help us kind of thing. We just try to be, sub, we're just kind of like a last line of descent for kids that have been through the system or people have tried getting help through various and sundry ways. There's a lot of help and resources if you know where to look for them. So many people don't know where to look for those resources. And we see kids every day like Michael. His story is not isolated. It is not uncommon. His story actually is the norm. And through this pandemic that we've been living through, foster kids, have been hit very hard. They have been the unforgotten person over there. There's been zero help really put out there for them. I've been sent more stories about families that have picked foster kids out during this because either they didn't have the money or they were worried that there would be another person that potentially gets sick in the household. All kind of. I've just heard more stories that have turned my stomach, and I thought, how can people do this? Because 
None of these kids asked to be in this situation. Not There's not one child in the whole world, not one, that literally, you know, wakes up in the morning and rolls over and puts on a, a to-do list or has a dream the night before. And says, I want to be in foster care. I don't want to have a mom. No one does that. And, right. you know, these kids are in a situation that they didn't ask to be put in. But, you know, they didn't ask for this. And as a society, it's our responsibility to step up, and we don't. And we don't do it. And so these kids like Michael just continue to age out of foster care. They continue to not go to school. No one cares. They miss grade. They, they don't have a support system. There's no structure there. And we turn the blind eye to it. And people don't want to talk about it. And they, it it's like it's almost a full topic. It's like, yeah, I don't really want to talk about it. So no one goes to the water cooler at church, or, I mean, at lunch, uh, at your office, or in, or in your, your bunco group, or wherever you might be, and, you know, you don't just sit there and go, hey, you hear about the, the, the kids living on the street, or, oh, gosh, you hear about the kid that's living under the bridge, or what about the kid that hadn't eaten in, in three days, and, and then they put a, a gun to your head in the parking lot, or at the gas station, and you act so appalled, and I'm thinking, you know, we took care of them yesterday when they were 17, and they turned... 18 at midnight, and we kick them to the curb, and they have absolutely no support, and you're in shock and awe because they would turn to prostitution or robbery or something like that. You're kidding yourself. We have created this monster, and we need to figure out how to fix it because it's not going to go away. It's actually it's an, an epidemic level in this country right now between the opiate situation and now this uh, coronavirus we're living through, and there will be something else, and it's not going to go away, and we have to quit turning our back on it and figure out what the answer is. Oh, I agree. I, you know, I say it all the time. Dana and I we talk about this. That you know, it is it is heartbreaking to me the number of people who we don't talk about it, and these kids are suffering. My concern with the, with this pandemic now, you know, we all know teachers are on the front line. Teachers were the ones who they report the highest number of children who are abused or neglected. And now these kids haven't been in school for, you know, some kids, my kids haven't been in school in six weeks. And, you know, I, I, I worry that we're going to, when we come across this pandemic, go, get over this, this um, we're going to see even more kids entering the system. Oh, I think it's going to be an alarming number. That's what I was saying. I, I think it's, we're not prepared for what's going to happen because teachers have been a very – um, good source of accountability for some of the organizations to know that kids that are homeless that that, that I don't think have been uh, are, are eating properly or that they or you know they don't they're being abused. I, I saw of something last night I was listening to that said that uh, emergency room uh, abuse cases, whether it's with a spouse or a child, are up thirty percent during this, and I, I think that that's going to cause a lot of people to kick kids out on the street that they're living, you know, their parents are going to do it because they're not equipped that financially. You know, they've been making it. We've, you know, we've had a, a several years that people have been doing really well and, and they, you know, they, they're living paycheck to paycheck, but they've still been making it. Well, right now they're not. And these, some of these people don't, you know, they don't know how to get the government money or they don't know how to get assistance. And when that happens, it causes rage, it causes problems in the household, and it's just a, a it becomes all of a sudden a cycle of, of abuse. And so these kids, I think, right now that have been escaping it are going to be, we're going to see more alarming numbers of things that are that just are going on that shouldn't be going on. And I'm not really sure what the answer is how to do it, other than I always tell people, 
you just kind of have to do what you can where you are. You know, we can't adopt every child in the United States. You can't ado- adopt every child in the United States. But there is something that everyone could do. And, and what, you know, what I think for you and I would like to tell people is today, tomorrow, and six weeks from now, and a year from now, just look around and see what you can do. You would be surprised on the, the needs that are just right in your community. They're just on your street. And it can start with you, whether you're smiling at the grumpy person next door or you've been critical of a couple because you don't like their lifestyle. If we just stop being negative and having negative thoughts and saying unkind things, that is a huge barrier right there. It, it, it would be, you would be amazed at what cultural change that would start if we start being kinder to each other. And then all of a sudden you look at the, the kid that you're seeing looking at the garbage can at the gas station trying to find food, and you don't have such a judgmental eye on them. You look at them and you go, I'm going to take them over to McDonald's to get a burger. Instead of quit being a scary cat and see what they might do to you if you were to do something kind like that to them. And, yeah, you're going to have a, an isolated instance, one in 55 million. Who knows what the statistic is? But for the most part, I mean, I take people home from bus stops all the time, or I used to. Uh, but, I mean, I, I've never had an incident. I, I, if people are, you know, we generally think the worst of people, but that's not the case. So where these kids that are falling through the cracks are, we just need to start being there. Even if it's giving um, your some of your clothes to them or if it's volunteering for an hour at a youth center or it's just putting it out there to some high school teachers that you're available to mentor for an hour, get a big brother, get a little sister, somehow plug yourself in. Because once you get involved, you can testify to this, this is like I can't. It's life-changing for you, and you're the one that benefits from it far more than any of the kids that you're helping ever benefit from it. And, and that's the truth. No. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've been thinking about, too, is that it seems like right now with this pandemic going on, there's everybody wants to help because they know that kids aren't eating their school lunches and they know that there are kids in foster care that are going to need help. I just saw that in Ohio, I guess they decided to any kids that were supposed to be aging out, they're not going to age out until after this is all over. And it kind of made me think like, OK, well, why aren't we already taking care of those kids? Why did it take a pandemic for us to realize we need to take care of those kids? So one of the things I hope that comes out of all this is that people are more aware of the problems and they're more willing to help on a regular basis as opposed to just stepping up when there's a crisis. No, that's true. And this is such a good time. If there's anything good to come out of this, people are glued to TV watching. I I have put myself on a timer. I listen 10 minutes in the morning and um, uh, 10 minutes at night. And that's it, just to to get the basic news and then read skim kind of. Uh, in the morning, but people are glued to TVs, and if we could ever get a message out right now, I saw that about Ohio, and I thought, lead the way, man, get up, run the flag up the pole, everybody follows suit, get up, and let's cheer this on, because this is exactly what we need to happen. We we need to figure out, okay, yes, first of all, I think that 21, between 18 and 21, there should be a complete program for kids. When you age out at 18, we have a structure and a program for you to work in between 18 and 21. We help you find a job. We have some kind of housing. You know, we need to figure this out, whether you uh, work for, uh, there's like a a series of of companies that you can go to work for. I mean, there's got to be a way, because kids at that point in your life, they're eager to learn. They're eager to please for the most part. They want to be loved. They want to know that there's somebody that cares about them when they wake up in the morning. I mean, I've had 
30-year-olds look at me and say, I just want family. I just want to know that there's somebody that's going to wish me a happy birthday. I just want somebody for once in my life to tell me that they love me. I mean, can you be blown away by how many people are 25, 30 years old that have never been told they were loved before? And, and that's, that's just not right. That's just not right. I, I agree with you. You know, I've always said there's two things I think immediately we need to do in the system is we have to set these kids up for financial success. I feel that if we can give a stipend out to a foster parent, there's no reason why we can't put a little bit of money in an interest-bearing savings account to help these kids with rent for their first down payment on their car. And then we have to open up the education pathways. And I mean, that means complete wraparound services. That doesn't mean just pay the tuition. Um, we have to open up the, the mental health doors to help you know these kids i mean i look at myself at 52 and you know i i still carry the baggage from what i went through as a child and and you know i get it you know my husband threw me this amazing birthday party when i was 40 years old i will never forget it and the reason is because i had never had a birthday i'd never had a birthday and 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 it's just it it blows my mind because there's kids out there that that you know they have never heard i love you um you know i i i talk i've talked about this before you you i talk about this i heard you say this and it happened in my home and the tears flowed down my eye every night you would look at the you would say good night to your three kids and you would say i love you i love you i love you michael and never heard it and never heard it and never heard it and finally michael said he loved you and i'm getting get chills thing because that happened just recently in our home where every night i would say i love you amaya daddy i love you i love you Tristan, Daddy, I love you. I love you, Makai. Daddy, I love you. I love you, Grayson. Daddy, I love you. And every night I would say, Alex, I love you. And I, he, I would hear good night. And just within the last month, our son, Alex, I said, I love you, Alex. Good night. And he says, I love you too, Rob. It's, you know, it's a game changer. It is a game changer. It is a game changer. Listen, I know time is running short for us, and I I know that you are so busy, and I cannot, you know, I am so absolutely grateful I get to call you my friend. But a couple more things I want to touch base real quick. Number one, I didn't know you were an interior designer. Uh, That was my first life. I know I was. I majored, I have a degree in interior design. I've got all the credentials and the, the, you know, letters after my title, and I did it for a long, long time, and now I just kind of feel like I'm making beauty in a different way. I, it's You know, you, your courses in life changed, and the, the level of an interior designer that I was, it was, it was very involved, and every client thought they were the most important client, and it was just all time-consuming job, and I loved it. I had a retail store in Memphis. My mom had been an interior designer, so I was very blessed to... Just to, I got ready to go to college, and uh, he said, well, so what I'm going to do, she said, oh, I can, you're going to major in interior design. And I was like, really? And she thought, yes. So I said, yes, ma'am, and that's what I did. And I, and I never regretted it. And I had a wonderful, flourishing, fabulous career and did some amazingly interesting people tones, a lot of commercial work. And it, But it just it was to a point where I couldn't do both things, and I felt like God took me down a different path, and so I have, I, I still dabble in interior design work. My family keeps me busy, and every once in a while, I'll, I'll, somebody will just talk me into doing something, and every time I do it, I'm like, gosh, why did I do this? But I, I still, I'm a little bit involved in it, obviously not like I was. I don't have my retail store anymore, but, but I still am involved in it, and I, I still do things. So, yes, I, I was, but I just kind of have gone down a, 
a different path lately. Not to say that I wouldn't circle back around to that and when I'm in my 80s or 90s and, and, and live my third life. <laughs> but right now, I'm, I'm kind of busy doing some other things. But I still love it, and it is a passion of mine. So I'll, I'll always do, you know, do it to some degree. That's great, because my husband, he has his master's in interior design as well. And so as I was oh, doing, yeah. I yeah, so when I was doing, you know, he gave up his career seven years ago to be a stay-at-home dad. Um, and so, you know, of course, our house is being redesigned every time I turn around. And he, people come, <laughs> people are always asking him, and he says the same thing you say. He'll say yes, and then afterwards he'll be like, oh my gosh, they're so demanding. They're so, you know, so that's just, that's just I so full it. circle. You know, so you're, you have a best-selling book, you know, turn around, reach out, give back, and get moving. Um, as we close this out, I, I'd like to know, what do you, you, you made the comment about, you know, we all can do something in our community. And I'm a true believer that your community is not your zip code. It's our human race. Um, and so we always end our podcast asking, um, a question. And this to me is the perfect opportunity to ask this question. So Dana, you know, if you could, you know, do the honors. Yes. If you could change two things about the foster care system, what would they be? Oh. Gosh, just two things. Um, I think if I could change two things about it, it would probably be time. And I mean, I hate to say it, it sounds like such a cliche, but it, and I'm not really sure the word I would like to use, but it's maybe attitude. I mean, it's such a, people have such a preconceived notion when you hear the word foster care. The things that people think, typically 99% are, are inaccurate. And, and you know, foster care, it's not, what, it's not really the dirty, it's said with the dirty face and the nasty clothes standing. You know, yes, that could be it. That, 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 that is one of the boxes that could be checked. But it's evolved into something so much more than that. I mean, there are kids in foster care that never, right now, that never in their life imagined that they would be in foster care. They didn't. I mean, they grew up in middle-class families, and all of a sudden, both families of both mom and dad have OD'd, and they're on the streets, or whatever. I mean, the list is endless if you could put together why they're in foster care. So the face of foster care has changed, and that's what I keep trying to tell people, is that Get involved because it may not be what you think it is. And then even if you get involved and it, it becomes what you thought it was, still doesn't mean there isn't something that you can do. Because the reality of it is there are a lot of things that we can't fix in this, in this country, a lot of things we can't fix. I can't fix that I'm short and you can't fix if you're tall. I can't fix that uh, I believe in this and you believe in that. I can't fix Social Security. You can't fix the national debt. There are things we cannot fix, but we can fix foster care. It is fixable. It's doable. There are people that are trying. I don't know why we can't all sit down at a table and hold hands and sing Kumbaya, but to go away. Because there are, whatever, there's 450,000 kids in foster care, maybe a few more, 472,000, whatever the number is. That, that's pretty much in the ballpark. I think that we have just a little south of 500,000 faith-based organizations in this country. If every faith-based organization took one kid and they were responsible for one kid, one, just one, 
and you monitored that child, you monitored the family situation, you were involved, you provided support, you provided structure, you provided tutoring for one kid, every faith-based organization. I don't care if it's Christian, Jewish, a faith-based organization. It would wipe out the need for foster care. Amen. And we could take we could take the billions of dollars that we don't even know where it went last year. If I told you the, the billions of dollars that were put into the foster care system in the United States of America in 2018, let's just say because I've seen those statistics, you would go, "What?" We could almost build every foster care get a home for what we spent, and there's no accountability for the money. It goes into a dark hole for the most part, and it's a cry and shame. So if nothing else, if we could just all come together on the fact that let's take one child and be responsible for them, then we could completely wipe out foster care and we could be doing something, to, as Rob said a minute ago, to improve the mind, body, and spirit of, of all these kids that are so deserving and, and don't get the attention that they need. Well, Leanne, I have to tell you, as we end this, I agree 100% with you. I say this all the time. If we would bring our faith base back together as one, we can eliminate this problem. I really believe that that's where it's, it lies. I was just speaking with a national health care company, and I, I told them, I said, listen, we've got to tap into faith base. We have to tap into faith base to make change. Listen, I know the time is running short, and Leanne, I just want to thank you, but the one thing I want to say is the the founder of Comfort Cases, um, my husband and I, and I told him this morning that I, I wanted to say this and that I want to say thank you for the donation that you made to our charity. You have no, we're 95% volunteer ran charity. Um, we have no corporate sponsors and we rely on our community to make sure that kids in the system know they matter. We've given out over 100,000 cases and because of you and Sean making that donation to our charity, we've been able to send out even more cases so thank you i love you i'm so lucky to call you my friend and i cannot wait i cannot wait to get one of those big hugs from you so listen (laughs) take care i'm not gonna i probably won't talk to you again but happy mother's day and thanks for being an amazing mom thank you dana nice to meet you and thank y'all for having me i really appreciate it you too thank you so much leanne uh talk to you later bye-bye Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your story. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.